0: Hello? I say, is anyone in here?
1: Welcome to the House of IDP! IDP? Crikey!
0: What the blazes is that?
1: In the House of IDP, we follow all players on both sides of the ball. On the Read and React podcast, we tackle everything you need to know to build a championship defense for your fantasy team.
0: That sounds terrifying! Don't you need to spend
1: hundreds of hours learning all about defensive players? IDP is an ancient evil, but also the future. Listen to the Read and React, and we will arm you with all the arcane
0: knowledge you need to defeat your enemies. Wowzers! You mean you distill a huge amount of information about the hundreds of players in the NFL so that your listeners can dominate their leagues?
1: What will that cost me? The podcast is free, but once IDP sinks its flaming hooks into you, it will steal your soul!
0: You're listening to the Dynasty League Football Podcast, where there is no off-season.
1: Welcome back to another episode of the DLF Dynasty Podcast. I am your host, Matt Price, filling in for Dan Myler, who hopefully will join us later in the show. But uh, of course, I'm joined by my buddy, Ryan McDowell, and we have a guest tonight. We'll go ahead and bring him on right away. Ryan Finley is another writer here at DLF, and where you have him on today Mostly to talk about, talk about the coaching carousel uh, articles that he has been writing this offseason, uh, but also to participate in our mock draft later. Ryan Finley, how are you doing, man?
0: I'm doing pretty good. The weather is turning better here in Wisconsin. I'm in a nice lag after writing all seven of those articles for the site, so I'm taking it easy right now. and ready to do some, uh, do some podcasting.
2: Nice. How about you, McDowell? How are you? I'm doing well. Also... Weather not so good here though. We're we're getting some snow, hmm. which is good for me. Snow day tomorrow. Maybe <laughs> maybe I'll get a few articles done. We'll see. Pretty pretty
1: standard here in San Diego. You know, sixties seventies, beautiful. Yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah 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 We don't.
0: Uh, we'll have you come shovel next yeah. time, Matt. Uh,
1: but anyway, uh, let's get into our, our the, the the first part of our show here tonight. Uh, before Dan hopefully will join us later. We're going to talk about the coaching carousel. So we're going to throw it to you. Real quick, right off the top here, Finley, and uh, just, just introduce what it is to, to the listeners and, and uh, maybe like why you, why you decided to write this.
0: Yeah, so this really came about, uh, it started, uh, this was the third year I actually wrote the series. Well, it wasn't a series until this year, but uh, the third time that I wrote an article about this for the site, uh, we had readers that were, a, a particular reader that was very interested in what we thought about coaching changes. Uh, and Ken was looking for somebody to take that on and do some research and look into it and put together an article, and I volunteered to do it at the time. I hadn't honestly really thought that thoroughly about coaching changes and how they might impact players on my dynasty rosters, um, and that first year I, I learned a little bit, and the second year I learned a lot more, and then by this year it really started to blow up into something, uh, you know, uh, a whole different animal with uh, the amount of research and things that went into it. Um, I'm getting a lot out of it, uh, and I think it can be useful for people in a lot of different situations.
1: I was going to say, yeah, this year it's like five or six times as big as it was last year. What what kind of prompted that change?
0: So a lot of that has to do with uh, the kind of level of research that I did this time around compared to before. Uh, previous years, like the first time I did it, it, was like a top five coaching changes or something like that. You know, uh, a sort of general, a few quick hits on a, on, on a few different guys around the league. That year, it was like Hugh Jackson came to the league it was or, or got his head coaching job. Uh, that was the year Adam Gase got, got the job in Miami. So it was really focused and kind of to the point and kind of terse overall. Uh, each year, I've done a little more research, and then this year when I started to get into it, I really started to understand more, I think, about how important the other coaches that get hired are, not just the head coach. Um, And that's kind of the key to what made it a series this time around, is I feel like uh, uh, dynasty owners understand that new head coaches mean different things but I don't think that we always really pay attention to new offensive coordinators under those head coaches. Uh, who's the new quarterback's coach under that guy? Who's the new offensive line coach? Because all these things can be an important factors in how the team is going to run going forward.
1: Yeah, I, I think you're right there. I mean, we saw – Case in point, the, the the biggest change ever that we thought maybe wasn't even possible in the Rams last season from from Jeff Fisher to Sean McVay and just one season turned that offense completely around and and really made really kind of embarrassed Fisher honestly. So uh, let's attack it this way to begin with, Ryan. Uh, we have these seven we have these seven teams that have new coaches this year. Arizona with Steve Wilkes, Chicago with Matt Nahey, Detroit, Matt Patricia, Indianapolis with Frank Wright, New York Giants with Pat Shermer, Oakland with John Gruden, and Tennessee with Mike Vrabel. Which of these do you see as kind of like the biggest change from 2017 to the 2018 season?
0: Yeah, I think that, that when you look at it, there's really two teams that I think stand out that had the biggest overhaul that could have the most impact on the teams offensively. Uh, Because I do, you know, minorly touch on the defensive side a little bit in one or two of the articles. But really we're talking about offensive players because that's what most owners are are invested in. I'm also not a defensive expert. I know a lot more about offense than I do defense. Uh, But the two teams are really the Chicago Bears uh, with Matt Nagy and what he's doing and his whole staff that he put together. Uh, And the other one that I find really interesting is actually the Titans, Uh, The Titans doesn't seem as interesting from the surface because they hired a defensive head coach in Mike Vrabel, but I think, honestly, when you get down to who they brought in for the offensive coordinator, it actually makes it a pretty interesting hire in terms of how I see that team potentially changing offensively.
1: Well, let's just keep rolling with that then, uh, Ryan Finley. (laughs) Uh, Let's keep rolling with that since we talked about, you're talking about Tennessee there. Talk about that offensive coordinator that come over, Matt Luffler, and and what he's going to bring to that offense, uh, especially with some of the new signings they've had the offseason here with with Deion Lewis coming in.
0: Yeah, I think all that stuff wraps up really well. And uh, also the the last article that I actually wrote for DLF was about that Deion Lewis signing. Uh, I do think that it's really important. So, uh, what I'd say, first of all, is you did mention Sean McVay from last year. What we're really hoping to do is see if we can figure out who, there, who might be the Sean McVay this year or what team might have that kind of offensive turnaround because I think there's potential for either Chicago or Tennessee to do that. Uh, and Tennessee specifically hiring Matt LaFleur, he was the offensive coordinator under Sean McVay last year. Um, and also, if you go deeper with, uh, with Matt LaFleur, uh, the year before, he was actually the quarterback's coach for the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, and if you remember the Falcons from 2015, that was a heck of an offense. Uh, and he had a big part in, uh, you know, the best season for uh, Matt Ryan there in Atlanta. So then he got hired on with Sean McVay, and now he got hired from the Rams to be the offensive coordinator in Tennessee. Uh, so why? So this is important because before, when you're thinking about uh, Tennessee, there was this whole exotic smash mouth thing, you know, uh, which was honestly a pretty boring offensive scheme overall. Uh, It was pedestrian. It was not taking advantage of the skills of Marcus Mariota. uh, It was not producing a great running game either, even though they had a very strong offensive line. But I think that the the offense is going to completely change this year in Tennessee because of that Matt liffler Liffler and what kind of offense he's going to run.
1: Yeah, I agree. It's it's a very interesting offense going forward. It looks like they want that two back system for sure, and and maybe they even prefer Dion Lewis there. Who knows? Ryan McDowell, any any comments here about Tennessee?
2: Yeah, I'm pretty uh, I'm pretty excited about the offense as well, and um, kind of share Finley's uh, or echo Finley's thoughts that uh, even though they did bring in Vrabel, and uh, a lot of times. A typical fantasy owner might see a defensive head coach and just almost shy away from the entire team. Um, definitely should not be the case this time.
0: And and I'd also I'd also add you you mentioned something about personnel that really is very very important when it comes to Lafleur and what I think he'll do with Tennessee and that's that uh, what what Sean McVay runs a lot what I expect Matt Lafleur to run is a lot of twenty one personnel versus your standard 11 personnel. I mean, almost everybody in the league is running 11. You know, that's the basic three-wide receiver set. Uh, But if you look at what uh, also Cal Shanahan is doing in San Francisco, he's doing the same thing. He's running a lot more 21 personnel. Actually, two backs, uh, one tight end, running a lot of play action, uh, doing um, a lot of uh, different things with two different running backs that maybe have different styles. And going back to Deion Lewis, that's why that signing is so important for them. I don't believe that that Deion Lewis signing is a guy that's just going to get 20% of the work. Uh, I think he's going to get a bigger chunk of that load. I don't think he's going to be the quote-unquote starter or anything like that. I still think Derrick Henry is going to be the main guy, but... You can't discount Deion Lewis and what he's got, what he potentially could mean in that kind of offense. As
1: long as he can stay healthy, anyways. <laughs> uh, well, let's uh, let's let's go over to. Uh, actually, we're going to go ahead and bring in Dan Myler. Dan Myler joined us today uh, after some some tax meeting. Dan, how are you, man? It was a rough meeting, dude. Uh, didn't expect it to go that long, obviously. <laughs> but taxes are out of the way now, and I'm ready to talk
3: about. Talk about this coaching carousel that you guys have been talking about. I caught some of that conversation, lots of good stuff,
1: yeah, so let's let's lead it into your favorite team here, Dan, the Chicago Bears,
0: <laughs> and uh <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, I'm surprised you guys let me on, you know a, a real true blue bears fan here i didn't think this you'd used to be around. a Bears
1: show when we had jeff and nick on and now it's become a Packers show which you know uh we're, we're, we're claiming mcdowell is a, is a is a packers fan with us but anyway let's let's actually do talk about the bears here uh finley i know they're they're your team even though you do live in wisconsin i'm not sure how that works i, I don't know how you are you know s- still alive on sundays i don't know uh, but uh, introduce uh, matt Nahy to us a little bit here tell us kind of like what he wants to do with this offense
0: yeah, it's definitely not easy to be a Bear fan living in Wisconsin. Uh, I didn't grow up in Wisconsin. I grew up over the border, but I defected at one point. I had to get away from the high taxes anyways. Um, as far as the Bears and Matt Nagy, uh, so this is uh, the other situation that I think is really interesting in offensive terms, and I think this is the situation that sort of everybody recognizes is that way. Uh, I would say that uh, most people around league that have followed who he's hired What he plans to do, what they expect from this offense, uh, is is pretty excited about what Matt Matt Nagy is going to bring. Because if you remember last year with John Fox, they probably had, they had, it's not only that they had no wide receivers, they also probably had one of the most boring offenses in the league. Uh, I mean, you could call plays yourself just sitting there, you know, run, run, pass, run, run, pass. Uh, No creativity, nothing interesting at all going on. A typical plotting molasses style John Fox offense. Uh, and Matt Nagy is going to totally flip that script. I really think he will. Uh, he brings in, You know, he comes from the Andy Reid coaching tree, which means uh, he runs a West Coast style offense uh, that will have a lot of short passing, a lot of quick passing. Uh, he'll have run pass options built in there. Uh, and the other really interesting thing about what he did was who he brought in for as his offensive coordinator, and that's Mark Helfrich, who uh, coached the uh, the uh, the Oregon Ducks for a couple of years. Uh, while Mar- Marcus Mariota was actually there, so he obviously ran a very uh, run-pass option-heavy offense, a spread offense that will be that is basically night and day from the John Fox offense that we saw last year. Um, and I expect Matt Nagy to sort of mix what he learned from Andy Reid, along with some of the concepts from that more spread Oregon Ducks offense, into the new Bears offense. Uh, and I think it could be really, really interesting stuff for. Mitchell Trubisky and his new number 1 target there Allen Robinson.
1: Yeah, they are the popular pick this off season to kind of kind of be that that Los Angeles Rams of the 2018 season and for for Trubisky to kind of be become Goff after, you know, a, a relatively uh I don't want to say a bad rookie year, probably not as bad as Goff's rookie year, but we rode him off after one season and and I think with, before this signing a lot of people were doing that with Trubisky as well. Dan, any thoughts here on Chicago offense uh, or any questions for Ryan? Not necessarily
3: him? questions because Ryan covered it pretty thoroughly there. I really like what the what that front office has done in the offseason, putting some weapons around the young quarterback and, and, and giving this new coaching staff some, some new uh, pass catchers specifically. Ryan, is there... Is there any insight you can give us specifically about Allen Robinson or specifically about any of these other targets that you've seen with these coaches that they may be able to give that may be able to give dynasty owners an advantage specifically with those players?
0: Uh yeah, I really I really do. I think uh, everybody is, you know, everybody was placing various wide receivers with the with the Bears in free agency this year from, you know, Jarvis Landry, people were expecting that or Uh, You know, Allen Robinson was somewhere as a name there, Sammy Watkins. Any wide receiver that was a free agent, people were linking with the Bears, essentially. Uh, So Allen Robinson, I think, is is actually the perfect fit for what uh, Matt Nagy is going to do. If you think about uh, Kansas City and the way that their offense works, like, yes, it's a West Coast-based offense, but what Andy Reid generally does different from a sort of traditional standard West Coast offense is he mixes in a lot of deep shots. Uh, there isn't necessarily that in a normal West Coast offense, but Andy Reid has always done that. He mixes in a lot of deep shots to go along with the short, quick passes uh, to keep defenses honest and to go for big plays. He loves to get big plays. I mean, look at Tyreek Hill last year. That's the kind of stuff that we might see with, uh, with uh, Allen Robinson uh, in the Bears uniform. Uh, and the other thing that I would I'd bring up is the Trey Burton signing, I think, is another huge piece. Uh, think about what Zach, what Zach Ertz does. That, again, is another West Coast-style offense. I could see the, the Bears uh, incorporating the tight end a lot more than they have done in previous years. What
1: do you, Ryan, what do you think that does for Adam Shaheen? Like, Is he just going to be buried now? Are they going to run a lot of two tight end sets? Do you think that's something that's going to happen? Is he going to be able to develop and, and really become a, a dynasty asset, or is that c- kind of just over with?
0: Uh, I would not say that it's over with. Uh, I think that there's still room for him to grow. I think he he showed a few flashes last year, but I think he still needs more time. You know, when we think about tight ends, traditionally, they take a long time to develop. And I think we've always understood this, but you know, for some reason we still will get antsy after year one, or if someone gets signed or something like that. I mean, look at, look at OJ Howard, uh, in Tampa Bay and what happened when, uh, when they, uh, gave the extension to Cameron Brate, like people were kind of flipping out there a little bit too, about, you know, what it meant for OJ Howard. Like, it takes time for these guys to develop like i i'm not going to worry too much about them getting another good tight end i mean and and ultimately what they're trying to do it, the more good tight ends you have the better you're going to be there's lots of there're going to be lots of balls in the kind of offense that he's going to run so i'm not worried about adam shaheen adam shaheen longer term uh, i mean we are dynasty owners after all this isn't a redraft right so
1: yeah for sure um mcdowell one last player here on the Bears. We've spent way too much time on the Bears already. <laughs> That's not too <laughs> but, uh, much time. That's the perfect uh, amount. <laughs> but one one player I, I think, I believe, has, has had kind of a roller coaster offseason is, is Tariq Cohen. Like, when when, first, when Nate was first hired, I thought that that was going to mean good things for Tariq Cohen. But now they've went a little bit crazy in the offseason here with their free agent signings, bringing in Taylor Gabriel, uh, bringing in Trey Burton, of course, and Alan Robinson. Uh, It just seems like it's going to be really difficult for, for Cohen to have any like consistent dynasty value here. Do you, would you agree with that McDowell? And then we'll get your thoughts too, Finley.
2: Yeah, I think I probably agree with that, but he's still, I mean, he's still the explosive type of player just based on limited touches that we saw last year. I'm still excited about him. I think his role will, will grow uh, just really just because of a, being away from John Fox or or John Fox being gone from the team. His, uh, I guess, limited usage of young players in general is pretty well documented. So I think uh, really everybody that watched the bears, whether you're a bears fan or a treat Cohen owner or not, it was pretty frustrating to see just from week to week, his, his role would fluctuate so much. So um, even with the, the added targets there and the added, touches that that are going to be taken up by Robinson and Burton and and Gabriel Uh, I still pretty excited about uh, about Cohen he would still be a player I'd be buying a dynasty okay uh
1: that's that's fair I guess I just feel like it's going to be one of those guys that you're going to like seeing on your roster and I don't know how you're ever going to feel comfortable starting him on a week-to-week basis uh do you see his usage increasing to Ryan Finley
0: uh, I think that that's still a possibility. I think that's one of the biggest questions, actually, with what's going to happen in a new Bears offense is uh, what does Matt Nagy think about Jordan Howard, uh, and what does he then think about Tariq Cohen, uh, the two of them together? How is he going to split that kind of time? Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it becomes more of a 50-50 split. I do expect to see Tariq Cohen get more work, uh, and I think he'll get more work in more interesting ways than he did uh, in the John Fox offense. So I'm not necessarily going to, Know go crazy for buying him, but uh, if I can get Tariq Cohen in a deal, I'm very happy to get him.
1: All right, so let's let's move on to the team that I kind of really want to talk about here, and that's the Raiders because. Ryan Finley, I got to know what the heck they're doing over there. I know John Gruden comes in and wants to. He wants to go old school. He doesn't like analytics or metrics or any of this stuff. He just wants to run the ball. But uh, he's bringing in all the old guys, uh, not just old school, but old old players with Jordy Nelson and and uh, uh, Doug Martin coming on board now, and of course leaving Marshawn Lynch on the roster to get that one million dollar roster bonus coming up. So, what the heck are the Raiders going to do in, in in 2018? And do we want any? Part of this offense, outside of perhaps Mari Cooper.
0: Yeah, this is this is a tough one. Uh, if I had to, you know, I said early on in the show that there are two teams that I saw could really have a good offensive turnaround, and uh, the Bears and the Titans. I could see the Raiders being that third team potentially. Um, I I just don't know for sure because it's so hard to say. Druden has been on the sidelines for so long. It's been so long since he's coached a team like. How much is he going to actually change? Like, what's going to change about the way that he coaches? Like, we know more about how he coaches than most of the other new head head coaches in the league this year, Uh, but that doesn't mean that that's how he's going to do it going forward. And then, like you said, he went ahead and brought in a bunch of older guys to uh, go along with him. He didn't bring in some young, hot offensive coordinator. Uh, John Gruden's going to be calling the plays anyways, Uh, but he brought in Greg Olson, who's been all around the league in various ways, Uh, and also... Like, I don't know what they're going to do with their offensive line, which is one of the big keys for them, I think. Uh, like, Gruden is another guy, like, we're talking about this a lot, but he's another West Coast offense guy. Uh, a lot of the guys that got hired this season are West Coast offense type guys, uh, and he's very much a traditional West Coast offense uh, a coach. And he also runs more typically a power running game, which is perfect for what the Raiders have at offensive line. But at the same time, he then went in and hired Tom Cable. And Tom Cable has been the, offens- the offensive line coach in Seattle for the past few years, which that offensive line has been flat terrible. Uh, and not only have they been terrible, but they, they run more of a zone-blocking scheme. So it's kind of hard to understand exactly what is going to happen with the running game. I think they're going to have to be flexible and try some different things. Um, but I also wouldn't want to just count out John Gruden. Uh, he has had success. I think he could have success again. But I think it's 50-50 if he has success or completely flames out.
1: Dan, your thoughts on this offense in 2018? I, I continuously scratch my head
3: when it comes to the offense and, and really their off-season moves. You mentioned some of the veterans that they added. And Gruden, you know, we've all watched him on, on TV and his his normal fluff and everything's uh, coming up roses. But he talks so highly of Jordy Nelson, every time he watched him, it seemed like the most obvious fit ever. And all those former Packers that were that are now in Oakland with the offensive coordinators over there. The general manager is over is from the Packers, uh, and so on and so forth. It it seemed like it the obvious fit for most, but it seems like an odd fit to me. Um, there's already enough veteran leadership on on the team. Um, I, I thought Michael Crabtree played a really nice, could play a really nice role in that offense, and, and now they replace him with Jordy Nelson. So, as a Nelson fan, I, you know I'm, I'm hoping that he'll come up uh, and, and have another good year or two. But I question whether that'll happen in Oakland with that ground and pound attack and, and things like that. So, as far as dynasty goes, I don't know if there's one specific guy that I'm going to point at outside of Cooper that I say, man, I really want to have that guy on a dynasty roster going forward. It, it's kind of um, a black hole, if you will, in Oakland.
1: Yeah, he's really talked up Cooper this this offseason so far and, and just saying that he's going to be the guy in the offense. McDowell, uh, are, I know that you are, you know, any, anything for Amari, right? So <laughs> uh, anything for Amari, does that still qualify with, with John Gruden coming back?
2: I don't know. I'm a I'm a little worried, <laughs> honestly. I, I I still love Amari, but other than him, I, I want no part of this offense. I agree with Dan. Uh, I've I've got some concerns. I I have been kind of thinking back to those those Ram teams when they brought in Dick Vermeil, and it, it had been I don't I don't know a a dozen years or more maybe since he had coached. And we know how that went. So I don't think that's I don't think history is going to repeat itself in that way. But, you know, maybe maybe Raiders fans can hang on to that.
1: Yeah, Cooper. I mean, we've been predicting a big bounce back this this offseason really before the Gruden hire. I mean, we kind of knew it was coming, but but we we thought he's a much better player than he was in 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 the 2017 season. So hopefully it still happens for him and he he bounces back a little bit, especially his dynasty value. And uh, and really from a production standpoint, from everybody that has invested so much in him. Uh, But I do want to get to one more team here before we get to the mock. Uh, Let's talk about Arizona, Ryan Finley. Steve Wilks comes in this season. He's got a pretty bare cupboard. He's got Larry Fitzgerald. He's got David Johnson. And uh, <laughs> that's, that's kind of about it. What is this guy going to do with this offense? Can we expect good things from, from Arizona in 2017? In or is that kind of being too optimistic? Especially in relation to David Johnson's value. You know, he's still a top four guy in, in terms of the running back position for Dynasty Fantasy Football. Um, and, and should we be concerned about that, that lofty ranking? Or do you think he's going to come in and have a nice season?
0: So it sounds like you guys are really scared of what's going to happen in Oakland, and, and you're ready to th- throw that whole offense out the window. Uh, if I was going to throw an offense out the window based on what I found out through my research, it might be Arizona, though, uh, to be totally honest. Uh, Arizona, you know, just a couple – how many years ago was it that they were a Super Bowl favorite, uh, and now it is it's it is not looking good in the desert? Uh, so they brought in a defensive head coach. So there's that there, which is, you know – That's good. They have some good defensive players there. He could probably do something with that team. Uh, He also brought somebody else as a DC over there, um, Al Holcomb from Carolina. Uh, So I expect them to be a good defense. Uh, But offensively, man, I am really worried. They brought in Mike McCoy. So Mike McCoy has been – he's basically had two jobs over the past, I think it's 12 years or so. Um, He was the head coach of the uh, San Diego Chargers for, I think it was like a four-year span a couple of years back, and he has also been the O.C. in Denver for two different spans. Uh, now, the thing about Mike McCoy is that he had really good success for two years, 2011 and 2012. 2011, he had a lot of success with Tim Tebow. 2012 was Peyton Manning's ultimate Hall of Fame season in Denver, uh, his best season uh, that he had had. Uh, so it's, and it's hard to say how much of that was actually Mike McCoy. Uh, outside of that, he hasn't had a whole lot of success, to be totally honest. Uh, he floundered a little bit in San Diego. They were kind of a middling team under him. Uh, some bad seasons, some okay seasons, but nothing exciting. Uh, and he, he doesn't have an offensive identity. Uh, a lot of offensive coordinators, you can point to him and say, like I've said about some of these guys that are West Coast offense guys. Uh, you can't point to stuff like that with Mike McCoy. He sort of changes his scheme based on what the personnel is. Uh, and when you look at the personnel in Arizona, like you mentioned, man, it's rough. Uh, I mean, I I was hoping, you know, I thought maybe if they landed Kirk Cousins or something, maybe that would do something. But to be honest, I'm a little scared of what might happen to David Johnson in that offense this year. I'm a I'm a little
1: bit of a Sam Bradford apologist, I guess. I don't know. I've kind of always liked him a little bit in his career. Uh, I, I, Ryan McDowell's <laughs> laughing at me over there. Uh, <laughs> But really, the concern with him is that degenerative knee issue. I mean, like you said last week, uh, Ryan, the, uh, Mike Zimmer openly talked about that. So how long can he hold on? You know, I guess they're in play for a quarterback if they can have someone, someone drop to 15. Lamar Jackson might be fun if he drops that far, for example. Uh, but uh, do you want anything from this offense in, in 2018, McDowell? I mean, d- are we still a believer in, in David Johnson? Can he, can he get it done with nothing really else around him?
2: To me, I mean, both Fitzgerald and, and Johnson are have shown enough that um, almost regardless of, of, of what's around them, I'm still buying, especially, uh, I mean, both of those guys are losing value uh, if you look at adp or if you look at uh the trade finder on dlf uh, their their price is going down so if i if i can get either of those guys at a discount uh, especially on a contender you know w- with fitzgerald in mind then uh you know i'd be doing that i'm not I- i'm not really worried about those guys for 2018 regardless of what's around them honestly
1: yeah i i uh, bought a few shares of Larry Fitzgerald, very cheap this offseason, too. I don't honestly, I don't even know why he's coming back. Like I don't know what. I mean, does he really think this team has the ability to even make the playoffs? I mean, is he is he just chasing a record? What is it, Dan? What what is Fitzgerald thinking here? Well, it's got to be love of the game, right?
3: It's, it's that he is he's that just kind of not, guy, yeah. not ready to hang him up, and and you know, it's kind of on a different different note, but can you imagine loving something for that long and then either being told that you have to walk away or told that you should walk away? Um, He's under contract and and he's a Cardinal, so he's going to stay there. And I, I respect him for it, to be honest. And to be, you know, really, would anybody be that surprised if he still caught 85 balls and And five or six touchdowns and was a contributor for dynasty winners. Don't, you know, he he has those types of games and I I believe it'll happen. So like Ryan, I'm a buyer as well. If I'm a contender and I want that wide receiver three that I can stick in my lineup, he's one of the targets that I'd be looking at.
1: Yeah, I don't hate it all. He's he's one of my all time favorite players. I just love the way he plays the game. That that postseason run he went back on in uh, what was it two thousand eight when he had like three touchdown receptions in the NFC title game, and he that was that was a sight to behold. So I'm I'm all for continuing to watch Larry Fitzgerald in twenty eighteen. I just feel a little bit sad for him that uh, he's not probably not getting back to the playoffs anytime soon. Um, but let's uh, uh, actually, Finley, before we move on to our mock, any other thoughts on these other 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 teams that we didn't really discuss uh, but real quick, uh, it, whether it's Detroit with Matt, Patricia, Frank, Wright, and Indy or or Pat Shermer and the Giants? Any any other notes we should get out there before we move on?
0: Um, yeah, I would say that Detroit is a pretty boring situation. They didn't even change their OC. It, it's it's going to be much of the much of the same that we saw last year. Um, And as far as the Giants go, uh, I think that they will be a better team. Uh, I think it will help them. But honestly, their changes aren't, you know, as exciting. Um, But, you know, Indy is the last one that I would want to, you know, spend any time at all on. And just to say that uh, I'm a little nervous also about Indy just because of the fact that they did, you know, there was a whole Josh McDaniels fiasco uh, they did end up with a guy that a lot of people liked in Frank Reich, so uh, it's not like they just got some, you know, also ran or anything like that. They got a, a guy that could be a good head coach, um, but the problem is, like, he, I, I don't love the staff he put together. Uh, so Frank Reich is going to be calling plays in Indianapolis, first of all. Uh, he has never called plays before uh, in anywhere he's been. Uh, his offensive coordinator is a guy named Nick Siriani. Who is the wide receivers coach in San Diego. Um, now, that doesn't mean he can't be successful, but he's also bringing in an OC that does not have experience as an OC, and Nick Sirianni also does not have any experience at all calling plays. Uh, I don't think calling plays is the easiest thing to pick up in the world. Uh, I would like them to have somebody that has some experience doing that. I'm a little worried about what it's going to mean, and just that whole indie situation, uh, it's just, you know, Andrew Luck, the shoulder. I mean, it's, it's another it's another area where I'm definitely a little bit worried about what's going to happen to that team this year. I would definitely not be targeting them as players on Indy as, as strongly as I might have targeted them in the past.
1: See, I kind of, maybe it's, maybe it's me being naive, but I kind of feel like the fact that the Colts traded down means that they're pretty confident that Andrew Luck is going to be healthy. And if Andrew Luck is going to be healthy, then I want all the T.Y. Hilton shares. So uh, they just signed Eric Ebron, which makes me really sad for Jack Doyle. So I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit more optimistic about what Indianapolis is, is, may do, at least on the offensive side, as long as they can get some pieces on that offensive line to, to protect them. Um, but uh, Dan or, or McDowell, any, any, uh, any thoughts on these other teams here before we go, move on to our mock?
2: Um, uh, I'm actually, we didn't talk about him too much uh, or or really not at all. Maybe I, I'm excited actually a little bit about the giants though, with, with Shermer in there. I mean, we, we saw what he did with that, that Vikings offense and you know, whether, whether they add a quarterback at two or, uh, or Barkley or, or even just a lineman or, or who really whoever I, uh, I think this could be a team. I don't, necessarily expect a playoff run uh, or, or even a playoff spot but I could see that team improving pretty quickly under Shermer.
0: Yeah, I would definitely agree with that because uh, you know one of the things that McAdoo got really predictable in his offense out there Um, You know, similar to how predictable the Bears' offense was, just in a different way. Uh, But extremely predictable, very vanilla. He was exciting at first, but he sort of didn't have any juice left. He lost the team, all that other stuff. Uh, I do think that Shermer has, I mean, obviously he has some great weapons out there. uh, So that could be a very interesting offensive team. Uh, The problem with the Giants is you're not going to get any of those guys cheap. Uh, Odell Beckham, you know, Evan Ingram, uh, if you don't already have them, it's going to be hard to get them.
1: Unless you're me in a super flex league, I guess. <laughs>
0: well, you you, you, uh, Dan, paid, up, you paid up and Bell to get him, so.
1: <laughs> Dan, uh, I know you constantly said last, last offseason that McAdoo was the worst head coach in the, in the entire NFL, so you've got to be excited about this Shermer hire, too. Yeah, I am, and I, I, I like what he did.
3: In Minnesota you know I I like what he's bringing to New York I, I have the same question marks that probably everybody does about the offense and and how that's gonna go and with Eli Manning coming back and and that high draft pick like Ryan mentioned we don't know exactly what what they're thinking there it's it's a really interesting social study really to me uh, whether I, I think we'll learn a lot on draft day of whether the, that Giants front office believes that they're close to a playoff run and, and maybe another championship run, or if they, they think they're closer to, to having a new starting quarterback and building that next generation. So, uh, I love that the Giants made a coaching change in general. I really like the hire that they made. I, th- I think they hired a, a good coach, a, a really good football coach. And I, I think, uh, he'll he'll do a lot for that franchise. I'm I'm excited to see what they do with that second pick and how they're going to improve that offense.
1: Yeah, I mean, they they Eli Manning is if if he can't do it with this set of weapons then then he might as well just go ahead and retire like in the middle of the season because this he has the just an incredible set of weapons between all of his receivers and you know if they for some reason end up getting Saquon at two overall I just can't even imagine how explosive that offense is going to be. Uh, we are we did run a little bit late on this segment so but we're gonna go ahead and jump into our mock. We are doing this a little bit different than most mock drafts. Matt Miller released a seven round mock, rookie mock mock draft uh, the day after the combine, actually. So a lot of these. These uh, picks that he made and these landing spots that he has for some of these players are probably not going to happen now with all the free agency craziness. We actually planned on doing this last week, but we just couldn't. There was too much stuff in free agency to talk about. So we're going to do it this week. If you want to follow along with us and, and wonder where these all these landing spots are, just go and uh, check out Matt Miller's uh, seven-round rookie mock on Bleacher Report. So um, just a few interesting highlights here just to start us off here. Uh, uh, Saquon Barkley went first overall to the Browns Sam Darnold you know I think the Browns Probably first choice of quarterback they ended up with them At at fourth overall which is probably not Going to happen in the real NFL draft now Josh Allen five to the Broncos Rosen 11 to the Dolphins Mayfield 15 to the Cardinals Uh, So that's the quarterbacks. Uh, We could go through a lot of these, but we're actually just going to go ahead and and start the mock here just because – and we'll talk about the landing spot as we make the picks just for for time's sake. We plan on going for two rounds. We'll go as long as we can. We'll at least finish the first round, I'm sure. Uh, But let's start us off here. Ryan Finley, uh, we we, we, want to give the easy pick here to our guests. Uh, So you can go ahead and start us off with the 101 – in dynasty rookie drafts this off season, based on this mock by Matt Miller. Yeah, I
0: kind of wondered if you guys would give me the softball with this one. So, yeah, I mean, one on one is easy. I got to take Dallas Goddard. Uh, <laughs> no, of course North I got to state. Yeah, <laughs> of course I got to take uh, Saquon Barkley. Uh, it's a no brainer. Doesn't matter where he goes. Doesn't matter who picks him up. Uh, I don't care if the Canadian Football League somehow drafted him. I'd still probably pick him up at one on one. Uh, He has everything that you want. It's not even close, and I don't think I need to say anything else about Barkley at this point that hasn't, I mean, everything's been said. You know,
3: the one thing that I do hear from time to time, Ryan, is that people are scared off of the whole Cleveland landing spot and just the the cancer or the, the negative vibes that come out of everything Browns-related when it comes to fantasy and dynasty. That obviously doesn't give you any pause.
0: Not in this case. I mean, when it's a talent like that, you kind of have to throw that kind of thing out. Uh, and also, Jackson, they did bring in a new offensive coordinator there that will hopefully, uh, you know maybe help Hugh Jackson out a little bit more, change up some of his thinking. I think he's gotten a little bit stale maybe. Uh, I think people were, a little, were excited about him a couple of years ago as a new head coach. I don't think it panned out the way a lot of people hoped. Uh, so maybe that new O.C. can help out with that.
1: Yeah, I'm not worried at, with Saquon Barkley and, Chicago, and Cleveland at all. I just With, with Tyrod Taylor there now and those, those receivers that they built around him, that offensive line, I think he's he can do good things, even in that landing spot. Uh, the 102 here will go to, uh, to you, Dan. What do you got for us? I think the second pick in drafts, especially when we
3: consider these landing spots, is pretty obvious as well. I'm going to take Darius Geis. I love the the opportunity that he would get with the Giants. I think going into this process right now, he's the obvious number two pick. And, and when you consider that roster in that depth chart with just Jonathan Stewart uh, and, and the trio of Wayne Gallman and, and Paul Perkins and I guess Orleans Darkwa, if they bring him back, um, it, it seems like an obvious second pick to me. And I'd be happy picking him up with the second pick in any draft. McDowell, you got the 103.
2: Yeah, you mentioned, Matt, that a lot of things had changed with free agency, and, and I'm sure Matt uh, Miller will be changing his mock the, the next time he releases a, a seven-rounder. But the guy that I'm going to take with the third pick I think still fits. He had Georgia running back Sony Michel going early in the second round to the Colts. Um, they, haven't really, they haven't really done much of anything, honestly, in free agency. Uh, they still have a hole at running back... Uh, either in front of or alongside Marlon Mack, depending on how you think of him. Uh, so I'll take Michelle with the third pick. That was that was who I was
1: hoping to grab here. So I'm not a big fan of that pick myself, Ryan. But uh, no. <laughs> I, I I love that, that spot for him in, in Indianapolis. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I think he's a much more talented player than uh, 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 Marlon Mack. So I, I would be excited to get him there. The fourth pick is a little bit tough. And, and I'm not even sure if this is the right selection here, but... Matt Miller has Nick Chubb going to the Jets, which doesn't doesn't look as great now with with uh, with Isaiah Crowell there, but I think Chubb is is a lot more talented. Uh, player than Crowell so I I have pretty confident that he can overtake Crowell and and relegate him to kind of a backup status there Uh, the one concern with him there is with Bilal Powell and Elijah McGuire there you know those guys are probably better pass catchers than Chubb Uh, so there's a little bit of of uh, a PPR upside lacking there in that spot but I'll go ahead and take him here at four so we are back to you at uh, 105 Ryan Finley.
0: Uh, this worked out pretty well for me. Uh, I also want to say I don't think you have to worry about any of those guys over there uh, for the Jets. Uh, I know that a lot of people really liked Bilal Powell and thought they'd see a lot out of him. I was never one of those guys, and honestly, if Chubb does go there, I think he'll be just fine. Uh, so I'm pretty happy to get the guy I'm getting here. Uh, I like Ronald Jones at this point. Uh, I, he supposedly has an Oakland landing spot as far as i um, Uh, This particular mock draft went. Uh, I think that's an interesting fit. I know that we kind of talked about we're a little nervous about John Gruden. But he seems like the kind of back I think that would really fit the kind of system that Gruden wants to run on the ground. Uh, He's a guy that really hits the gap. He's a guy that runs pretty hard. He gets his shoulder down into people. Not quite Marshawn Lynch-like, but sort of the similar vein to him. So I could see him being a really good fit there, and I really like his tape.
1: And that's to Dan for the 106.
3: Yeah, I think the 106 is, is that turning point, that spot where we're going to see a lot of different names. I, I think those five running backs are nearly a consensus for, for a top five, maybe in, in different orders. My, my top five would have been a, a little bit different. So I'm going to go off the beaten path here and, and maybe maybe take another turn. Uh, I'm going to go wide receiver. And instead of going Cortland Sutton, I'm going to take Kelvin Ridley. He's my number one wide receiver. Uh, I know a lot of people may raise an eyebrow to that, but I feel like he's the he's the top guy on the board. Um, the landing spot here is Baltimore, which I still like, despite the Ravens addressing the position in free agency with Michael Crabtree, and I'm sure Crabtree would love to see another former. Uh, Alabama Crimson Tide wide receiver big name wide receiver come on board and 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 take a lot of the attention but I think it would be good for both of the players Uh, I think there's there's an obvious role for for him right there immediately or a rookie wide receiver with Crabtree and John Brown really being the big names that are there Um, so I, I although there are many options I'd be pretty happy taking the uh, first wide receiver off the board, Kelvin Ridley, at six here.
1: Yeah, I, I like that fit, too. I know we joke that we don't want to see any of those receivers go to Baltimore, but it just feels like an Aussie Newsome kind of pick. It gives them an amazing route runner, but the best in the class probably in Calvin Ridley and, and a guy in Michael Crabtree who is also a really good route runner. In fact, uh, I remember in interviews last offseason they were asking some of the prospects about who they looked up to in terms of their route running abilities, and a lot of them said Michael Crabtree. So to give, give Baltimore two players like that that can get separ- separation just by their routes, uh, you know, if only they had a quarterback that could that could take advantage of that. Uh, but, uh, no, I like that pick quite a bit. McDowell, back to you at, at 107.
2: I think this is maybe where you have to really start considering draft capital and uh, looking at players that were first-rounders versus players that are third- or fourth-rounders, and that kind of becomes the tiebreaker. So that's what I'm going to do. I'll take uh, Cortland Sutton, who in this mock – was a first rounder to Buffalo. Uh, again, that's certainly something that's uh, that will be changing as as they're moving around and trading up. But for for this activity, I'll take Sutton at the seven spot.
1: Yeah, I like that. I like that one too. That Buffalo, obviously, the huge need to fill there. They'll they'll have uh, not not Zay Jones anymore. If you haven't checked out the Jay Jones news today, please go and and look that up. Uh, but that's a for another time. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and take uh, – this, this is a toss-up between two running backs here for me. I will go ahead and lean towards Rashad Penny going to Baltimore. He's a guy who rushed for over 2,000 yards last year at San Diego State. I got to, to watch him quite a bit here. And uh, very impressive runner, not very good at run blocking. L.A. Chris called him the worst maybe that he's ever seen in his life. But I feel like there's a spot there in Baltimore for him to just take over. I think he's better than Alex Collins, and I think he's better than uh, Kenneth Dixon or anybody else that's hanging around that backfield right now. So for me, Rashad Penny here at the 108 pick. And back to you, Finley.
0: Yeah, I like that pick. Uh, I like that one. I would have taken him if he was still here. Uh, the guy for me here is DJ Moore. Uh, the mock has going to Cleveland has me a little bit worried. I feel like he's a receiver that is in some ways similar to who they brought in with Jarvis Landry. Um, and, you know, obviously we talked about Cleveland and being nervous about Cleveland in general. There's that whole feeling there, but... As far as like a well-rounded receiver that does all the things I want to see a receiver do, uh, DJ Moore was one of those guys. Uh, one of the other really, one of the things that really has me uh, a focus on a guy if I'm watching tape. There's one thing that if I see it, I write that guy down and I want to own that guy. Uh, and that's if I see him do something that actually helps a teammate, because uh, you don't always see guys do that. Uh, and Moore is one of those guys that I saw more than once. Uh, help spring a big play or do something else that helped one of his other teammates get into the end zone or something to that effect. Uh, you don't always see that kind of stuff. A lot of guys play fairly selfishly. A lot of guys will loaf around if the ball isn't coming their direction, things like that. Uh, I didn't see that on more. I really like that in a player.
1: Yeah, that pick is, is tough at a Cleveland landing spot. You know, now that they have Jarvis Landry in the slot, and that's kind of where I like more the best in the NFL. You know, maybe he – I think he's probably at least as good, if not better, than Corey Coleman there. So I think there is a role for him if he did land there, uh, at least in, in, the, in the near future, if not in 2018. Back to you, Dan, here at the 110.
3: Yeah, this is a interesting pick to me, uh, just because of these landing spots. I think this is when you really start, like Ryan said earlier, that draft capital starts kicking in. There's a couple players that I'm not necessarily as high on that maybe NFL executives or for sure Matt uh, Matt Miller is is higher on that. If you saw them land in in the spots that they were selected, you might move them up your board a couple spots. I'm gonna stick. To what I have uh, right now. And the landing spot isn't all that bad with James Washington a wide receiver. He lands in Kansas City with the 54th overall pick. I really, I, you know, a lot of people may shrug their shoulders at that one maybe and, and think, uh, how great a landing spot is that? They've already got two established pass catchers in place. But there's certainly room for another in Kansas City. And, and we really don't know how that new quarterback, that young quarterback, is going to affect that offense over an entire season so I think there's the potential for Washington to make a big leap and even potentially make one of those leaps as as a as a first year player especially if he lands in Kansas City with Andy Reid a a play a coach that knows how to use uh his best players and especially his position players to their to their best uh for sure so so I'll take Washington here at 10 stick to my board and, and feel pretty pretty good about that
1: yeah, I I don't mind that landing spot either. He's definitely third on the wide receiver depth chart, but he's not a burner like those other two guys are. He can get deep uh, a lot with his with his route running and his ability to stack defenders. Um but he could also be successful, I think, in the intermediate areas of the field. Uh so I I don't mind that spot at all in in a wide receiver in a three wide receiver set there for
2: for Kansas City. McDowell, back to you at the 111. Yeah, this one feels pretty easy to me. Um don't take, do not do it. Christian Kirk. <laughs> oh, you didn't do it. Oh, <laughs> okay. Christian Kirk, second rounder to the Bears. One of the few second rounders left, in, in, again, in this exercise focusing on draft capital. I really like his game regardless. I would like that landing spot with, with the offense that, that Ryan talked about earlier. So uh, I will take Christian Kirk at 11.
1: Yeah, that was one of my two guys I was considering here left in the second round. I'm going to go ahead and take carry on Johnson. I think... Uh, he lands in in Detroit in this mock. They did just sign uh, uh, Legarrette Blunt. They have Theo Riddick there, but I think Carryon Johnson can can really be kind of an every do everything kind of back for them. You know, depending on how you feel about him, Amir Abdullah, still, it feels like we, they have white right now. They have one guy in Blunt that's really good between the tackles. One the guy guy can catch the ball and Riddick. You know, Abdullah can do a little bit of both, uh, and, and so can Carryon Johnson. But I think he could come in and, and probably take most of that role. Maybe not in the rookie season, but you know, in the future. Future. And with, like you said, with that draft capital going off the board there in the second round, it's hard to hate that. Uh, and that, that's, that wraps up the, the first round, actually. So just a quick recap. We have Barkley at 101, followed by Geis, Michelle, Chubb, Ronald Jones, Calvin Ridley, Cortland Sutton, Rashad Penny, DJ Moore, James Washington, uh, Christian Kirk at the 111, and On Johnson at the 112. Back to you, Ryan Finley, for the first pick of the second round.
0: Yeah, so this first pick of the second round, this isn't necessarily about draft capital. It's about what I saw as fit uh, with one of the guys that's in in the mock going to Oakland, actually, uh, where Oakland had just uh, let go of Michael Crabtree. I think that this guy uh, would fit in pretty well uh, to fill that same kind of role. Um, And I know it's the kind of role that is important in the style of West Coast offense that they're going to be running. Uh, and that's equinam. Equi- I'm just gonna say St. Brown. Let's just do that. Huh? <laughs> ESP. Just say ESP. All right. That's good. That works. Uh, so that's who I'm going with there in Oakland. Uh, I think he's he needs a lot of work. I mean, uh, there's that size is just tremendous and everything. Uh, there are times where he looks like he really gets it. There are other times where he looks lost. So I mean, he's raw. There's a lot of work to do. But I really like. The potential in that offense and when I get into the second round I'm looking for a guy that i that I think might have a lot of upside uh, and that's what I see with St. Brown here
1: yeah I don't I don't I don't hate that pick at all he's creeping up my my rookie wide receiver board for sure I, I don't mind it in Oakland at all across from Cooper there so uh, great pick uh, Dan to you at 202
3: yeah I like like the other all of you in in the draft I'm, I'm looking at where guys land and and the opportunity but there, there's also that you know watching film and, and seeing what you see, much like what Finley just said. And one guy that I'm higher on than most already is Dion Kane, and and the landing spot here is ideal. I think if if this. It really happens. Uh, first of all, being a second-round pick, so the draft capital matches, and then secondly, landing in San Francisco where there's a huge need, and finally, the quarterback that's already in place in San Francisco. I think if this all comes to fruition and Deion Kane is drafted in the second round by the Forty ers and is attached to that that young quarterback Garoppolo who who shines so much late in the season, we could see Kane move into the first round of these. These drafts, and I already liked Kane coming into it. I, I'm one of the highest of the rankers on DLF, having him at number 16 overall. Thrilled to get him at 14 with this landing spot, and could see him uh, approaching the number 10 overall if all this comes comes true
1: yeah that the, you can't argue with that landing spot at all and for a guy that, that that's talented i mean he, he didn't have a great senior season but uh, to land on that spot with his athletic profile i think he could do pretty well there mcdowell back to you at the 203
2: all right there's uh, quite a few running backs off the board so i'm going to get uh one of the last ones that i'm kind of interested in uh De- um, i'm sorry i almost called him Devonte freeman royce freeman uh, in this yep. mock, going to the Dolphins in the fourth round. I'm not quite sold on Kenyon Drake. I was I was impressed with him last season, but not not ready to necessarily trust him as the starter moving forward. So Freeman would at least form a, a solid committee there with Kenyon
0: Drake. Yeah, I like lo- I like that pick. I like I like the way I think he could fit into that Adam Gase offense too. Um, I like that guy a lot right there.
1: Yeah, he made he made himself uh, uh some draft capital with his performance in the combine for sure. So, definitely got back on the on the radar of of, of dynasty owners there. Uh, the rece- lack of receiving profile is a little bit of concern, but you know it, he doesn't necessarily need it, it at that spot in Miami. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm a little bit worried that uh, the running backs are going to continue to disappear, so I might be reaching a little bit here, but I'm going to go ahead and take my favorite player in this class, John Kelly. went in the fifth round to the Seattle Seahawks. We know that Seattle has a big hole at running back depending on how you feel about Chris Carson. So uh, I, I like his... Uh, I've, I've talked about it. I think he, he's the, the Steve Smith of, of running backs. I just love the way he plays. He's got a mouthpiece with fangs on it. He throws people around with his stiff arms. All this at five nine two fifteen. So I'm big into John Kelly right now and, and that landing spot. Offensive line will always be a concern, uh, but I, I think he's a guy who can overcome that. So I'll take John Kelly here at 204. Back to you, Finley, at 205.
0: Yeah, you had me there at uh, mouthpiece with fangs. I mean, that's all I need to see in draft <laughs> a draft guy. guys, so I'm with you on that. Uh, so this is, this is the point in the draft where things are getting a little – you know, they're not as cut and dry anymore. You're, you're maybe looking at guys based on landing spot. You're maybe thinking of uh, you know different positions and things like that. So at uh, this spot, I'm going to take the first tight end off the board. Uh, and my guess is that it's a different tight end than most people would take here. Um, but a lot of this is based on a landing spot, and that's I'm taking Mark Andrews, uh, who in this mock goes to the New Orleans Saints. Uh, which I think is a very, very good landing spot for a tight end because, uh, let's face it, the tight ends down there have not gotten it done. Uh, no matter how certain people really like the tight ends that they've had there, um, they just have not gotten the job done. Uh, but Drew Brees has shown that he can feed a tight end. Uh, and Mark Andrews I really like. He's he's a well-rounded move tight end. Uh, he's not as flashy. He's not as good as an Evan Ingram. Uh, I don't think any of the any of the tight ends in this class are... Really close to the, to the top guys from last year. That's why they lasted until the second round before we even saw one go off. Um, and I think I might even be reaching a little bit here for Andrews. Uh, I like him more than the other guys because he seems like a more polished route runner and has better hands than the other guys to me. Um, I do like Gesicki. I do like Goddard, but their landing spots make me go to Andrews here.
1: Yeah, that that they he definitely had, got the best landing spot of the three top three tight ends. Just for the listeners, uh, so they know Dallas Goddard was selected in the first round of this mock by Matt Miller, but he went to Jacksonville, who now just signed ASJ. Marcedes um, Lewis is still there, so I, I think he could probably overtake those guys eventually. But he's definitely blocked for a little while there, um, despite that draft capital, and then. Uh, Mike Gusecki went to Atlanta in the second round. And we all, all know that Austin Hooper is there who hasn't, who's, who's flash, but you know, uh, is certainly overtakeable and Gusecki put up that, that kind of historic combine. So, uh, that could be a decent landing spot there, but I agree with you that Andrews is the top tight end based on these landing spots. Um, and we'll go back to Dan here at the 206. Yeah, yeah, one
0: thing really quickly, the last thing I would say about that is the other thing about Atlanta is I don't really believe in Sarkeesian as an offensive coordinator to go back to some of the coaching stuff that I do. So that that gives me pause with Gasicki too. So I'm back on the clock at
3: 18, and I'm, I'm a little bit surprised in, in one name that's still available. I'm going to go back to the... Running back position, and it's not necessarily because I love the player. Uh, I do like the landing spot, however, and that's Mark Walton. He lands in Tampa Bay, where, to be honest, there's really not a established player at the position with Peyton Barber and and Jakey's Jake Rogers. All that's really on the roster, so I think that the draft capital there. Um, in this in matt's draft, he went 69th overall, which is is a high third round pick. um if that if that were to happen, Walton would move up draft boards in dynasty uh just a little bit uh, and owners picking in the middle of the second round, which is where we are right now, would probably feel pretty good about taking him, and i certainly do here.
1: And we're going to keep moving quickly as we're running out of time here. McDowell at the 207. Who would you like to take?
2: Yeah, I'm going to go Michael Gallup here. Uh, Carolina, third rounder. Carolina clearly has a a wide receiver need. And uh, I think Gallup is the type of player who could contribute right away. Gallup was the other player I was thinking
3: about there when I took Walton. I thought they were both very equal.
1: I was actually going to take him at the last pick, but I couldn't couldn't stomach losing John Kelly. So I, I love that pick and big hold of fill at wide receiver. I think he's probably better than Devin Funchess. Uh, not necessarily that Gallup profiles as a wide receiver one athletically, but uh, I think he probably could, could take that role from him. I'm back up here at the two Oh eight and I'm going to go ahead and take, Oh man, I'm going to take <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and take the first quarterback here actually I'm going to go ahead and, and, and peel Lamar Jackson off here I think he offers the most fantasy ups, upside if he h- hits his ceiling of any of these guys people have called him a right-handed Michael Vick he doesn't have as great of an arm as Vick but he, he can do enough with that arm and then that running ability is just incredible so depending on where he goes uh, my, my hope is that he lands somewhere like Buffalo or, or uh, 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 Arizona where he can really kind of take off in, in year one depending on what the coaching staff is able to do with him so I'll, I'll take uh, Lamar Jackson here at 208 and you're back up Finley
0: yeah I'll, I'll go ahead and take the second quarterback here and this is again based more on landing spot uh, I don't know that I would have taken him if uh, he wasn't projected to go somewhere else but uh, Josh Rosen going to Miami um, I don't believe in Ryan Tannehill longer term uh, I don't I don't necessarily think that Adam Gase believes in Ryan Tannehill longer term, uh, so I think that there's a, there's an opening for a, a, a talented quarterback, uh, and I think Adam Gase can do something with him.
1: I forgot to mention that Lamar Jackson in this mock went to the Chargers, uh, so you would have to wait a little bit, I guess, but I, I still like him there. And we'll go back to you, McDowell, at the 210. Actually, we'll go to Dan. I'm sorry, <laughs> man. Thanks, thanks for skipping <laughs> me for the second time. I know I was late. you do that in real drafts too? My bad. I do. I skip them all the time. <laughs> I think that
3: there's one name just blinking on my screen right now as as the must take, and that's because of the 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 crazy combine he had. The landing spot here is the Jets, and picked in the third round, and it's DJ Chark. The wide receiver from LSU. Um, I don't mind the landing spot; it doesn't hurt hurt my feelings at all. And to get him late in the second feels like a really good value to me, or at least a good value for sure. To be honest, I, I would have probably taken uh, taken Rosen here if he were available. Um, I've been preaching all offseason that the second round is a nice place to find a quarterback, even in uh, one quarterback leagues. I'm a believer in Rosen more than anybody else. I considered G- Darnold here as well um but this being my last pick i thought i best take the
2: best player on my board and that's chart
1: and back to you McDowell for 211
2: all right um pretty happy with my options here and and actually Happy with the tight end class. This is one over the past year I wasn't very impressed with, but the closer we get to the draft, uh, some of these guys have performed well at the Combine or uh, just surprised us with their performance uh, in their final college season. So definitely looking at the tight end spot, I like both Goddard and Gaseki. Again, in this exercise, Goddard is a first-rounder to Jacksonville, Gaseki a second-rounder to Atlanta, and I think I would go with Mike Gaseki landing in that Atlanta offense. Um, I've kind of given up on Austin Hooper as a dynasty asset, honestly. Uh, and we, we heard some rumors that the Falcons were looking at some free agent tight ends as well. So they're probably not giving up on him, but they're at least considering their option. So I'll go with Gesicki here.
1: And I will wrap us up at the two twelve with Deshaun Hamilton. I think he's pretty underrated based on the athletic profiles from the other players in this draft. Mike Isecki, one of those, uh, and, of course, Saquon Barkley. And he lands in Arizona on this mock draft, which is just a team starving for receivers right now. So that's a, I can't imagine too many better landing spots for him, uh, a player that I think Sam Bradford could really do some things with. So uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up there. We're just over an hour. We're going to get out of here, and uh, we'll be back with you guys next week. Ryan Finley, please tell everybody where they can find you.
0: Uh, you can find all my work at the at Dynasty League Football, of course. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm I'm not a huge Twitter guy. I'm there in fits and starts, uh, but you can find me at, at Ryan C. Finley on Twitter.
1: And of course, you can follow my buddies, Ryan McDowell at RyanMC23, Dan Myler at dmiler 22 You can follow the podcast at DLF Podcasts, and you can follow me at MPricer. Thanks for listening, guys. We will chat with you again next week.